My name is Audrey Brooks, and I'm the retired chaplain at the Unitarian Church of Edmonton and the initiator of the annual Genocide Memorial Services. Our theme this year is Making a Difference, where we encourage each other to join the world movement to stop violence against families in whatever way it occurs in the world. Unless we rise up, Unless we speak up and march and rally again and again, nothing will ever change. We gather here to listen, to speak, sing and pray, each from within our own beliefs and faiths. We gather here to witness against genocide, where powerful killers incite hate and carry out planned attacks on families whose only goal in life is to live in peace and thrive on their lands. There are ways to solve problems other than mass murder of human beings in the name of politics, greed, ethnic cleansing, and exploitation of land. This slide is a slide of the medicine wheel banner that was dedicated at the Unitarian Church of Edmonton two years ago to honor the indigenous peoples with whom we share Treaty 6 land. Elera Stefaniak Godet, who is Director of Religious Education at Westwood Unitarian Congregation and the gifted technician who put this program together, will speak to the treaty and our relationship with the people of this land. We speak, we sing, we swallow water and breathe smoke. By the end of our ceremony, it is as if skin contains land and birds. The places within us have become filled. As inside the enclosure of the lodge, animals and ancestors move into the human body, into skin and blood. The land merges with us. Okay. The stones come to dwell inside the person. Gold rolling hills take up residence, their tall grasses blowing. The red light of canyons is there. The black skies of night that wheel above our heads come to live inside the skull. 
We who easily grow apart from the world are returned to the great source of life all around us. And there is the deepest sense of being at home here in this intimate kinship. There is no real aloneness. There is, no, there is solitude and the nurturing silence that is relationship with ourselves. But even then, we are a part of something larger. And that's from Dwellings, A Spiritual History of the Living World by Linda Hogan. I and many others in this room are located on Treaty 6 territory in Emiskwichiwaskahekin, colonially known as Edmonton. If you are not on this land, please add your land acknowledgement in the chat the best way that you know how. Amiskwichiwaskahegan is a traditional meeting place, grounds, gathering place, and traveling route to the Nehiawak, Anishinaabe, Neitsiatapi, Eti, Dene, and Iaxe Nakoda. We acknowledge all the many First Nations, Metis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for centuries long before our own, and whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to enrich our community. We uplift the indigenous nations upon whose land we live, pray, collaborate, and build a sense of community among people of all races, for we are all relatives. I give thanks, as an Anishinaabe elder taught me, for the waters of this world, for the first peoples, who are the tree nation, for the four-legged and the two-legged nations, for the peoples that crawl, the peoples that swim, and the peoples that fly in the sky. I give thanks for the teachings of the elders I have been blessed to be in relationship with as I work to uplift the truth of the harm that has been done to our indigenous peoples, to heal my own relationship with all peoples of this land, and to assist in bringing reconciliation into our communities in all ways I am able. May we journey together in this spirit. Thank you, Alara. The next speaker is Georgia Phillips, who is 17, going into grade 12 at Ross Shepherd High School. Georgia enrolled in an indigenous course called Ways of Knowing, which led her to learn about medicines and cultures and to ultimately write a personal land acknowledgement that acknowledges the rights of indigenous people from the viewpoint of Georgia's settler background. Georgia, please. All right, so for those who do not know, a land acknowledgement is to honor and respect the indigenous peoples here before colonization. A personal land acknowledgement is how we can identify our own work to be done and reflect on our own individual space we take up on this land. We honor the land defenders um, and those who fight for land back throughout Turtle Island. We give thanks to the land and what it has been able to give us and how we wouldn't be here without the indigenous peoples who have protected our earth for years. Liberation is still ongoing and we all have a role to play in land reclamation. Everyone's relation to the land is different and we all share stories and histories, but we can all be connected through this land to support the Indigenous peoples whose land was taken. This is my personal land acknowledgement. So to begin, my great great grandparents came here to Canada as settlers. These people from Britain, Ireland, and the Ukraine. For many years, my family has lived here in Edmonton and Miskuchi, Wisconsin. My home is here in Edmonton, whether I like it or not, and I take for granted everything this land has been able to give me, health, happiness, and a home. I undervalue 
I, I undervalue my own history and connections that begin here on, that began here on this land, as well as the many resources it has provided me. While growing up, I've learned many love stories between my ancestors. I've learned about their lives and families from my grandma. I appreciate those stories that are filled with love and peaceful living passed on to me by my ancestors, although there is a very pressing lack of history in our family stories. This is the lack of the this is the lack of history of indigenous people and the culture that has been erased and degraded from ancestors like mine. As settlers not too long ago, my family came to this land as colonizers, erasing and eliminating the indigenous people and their culture. This land begins uh, belongs to the generations of people here before mine, the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. Although I did not know my great-great-grandparents myself, I wonder why the stories of residential schools, missing and murdered Indigenous women, the genocide against Indigenous peoples are not shared in my own family history. It's because for so long my family has been has bathed in privilege and ease. This land is Treaty 6 land and I live here on this land beginning to learn the truth of my own history. I continue to learn my job as a privileged white woman on this land and listen to the people around me. We have worked to continue sharing truths and stopping the systemic and structural racism towards Indigenous people and the lack of representation in our daily lives. As I begin my journey as a young woman, I uphold the commitment that history nor effort will be forgotten for the sake of my own ease. This land to me is ground for learning. Every day I take in new understandings and knowledge. I take in greater appreciation of the land from the natural medicines and plants to the beautiful sceneries. Every day that I go to school and work on this land, I am relearning what it means to be Canadian. Thank you very much, Georgia. It was wonderful to have a young woman such as yourself being present with us today at this very, very special occasion. The next slide is of the gathering at the Alberta Legislature, where families of 215 children whose graves were found at the Kamloops Residential School site are remembered with smudges, prayers, and a call to Canadians to support Indigenous people in their demand for justice. Since this first rally, hundreds of more unmarked graves were found near government-sponsored residential schools. As a parent myself, I'm disgusted and shamed as a Canadian citizen to know that these graves were acknowledged in the truth and reconciliation documents and the 94 calls for actions against the abuse and intentional destruction of Indigenous people and their culture. Yet nothing is done by our government to deal with this genocide. Cindy Blackstock, a member of the Gitson First Nation and executive director of the First Nations Child and Family Caring Society of Canada, points out that the federal government continues court cases against Indigenous children, denying them the same level of funding and health care as other children and refusing to comply with the 2016 Human Rights Tribune ruling to pay compensation for its neglect of, of these children. I might add that these court cases are fought in our name using taxpayer money to continue the litigation. Cindy Blackstock said, residential school survivors knew where the children were buried. 
because many of them dug those graves. They told their truth to this TRC, but they were not listened to. They were told that, oh, well, these were only stories. They were not stories. We know they're not stories. These indigenous children were forcibly taken from their families and put in what were ultimately concentration camps where the worst kinds of neglect and abuse happened. As far back as 1907, when Dr. Peter Bryce, the chief medical officer of the Department of Indian Affairs found tuberculosis epidemics, malnutrition and starvation in the schools, the government fired him refused reforms and erased his name from history. This is the government legacy behind the children in these graves. And Canadians must never forget this. Over the years, many other citizens did come forward to publicize abuse, neglect and deaths in residential schools. People tried to make a difference but no one in government paid attention. They waited out the media reports and went ahead as they do now, continuing with the colonial attitude toward indigenous children that they hold today, as the continuing court cases illustrate. The last residential school closed in 1996, but indigenous children are still being scooped up and taken into foster care where the situation are often not much better than the residential schools. As you see the picture here, that was also taken. Every child matters. The woman who is pointing toward the statue of the nun is, has uh, covered herself with ashes and her grief at the loss of those children. I would like to invite poet Naomi McElwraith, a dear friend, to share her poem, Bring Them Home, written in English and in Cree. Naomi wishes to honor her parents, grandparents, the sacredness of life and knowledge of the elders. Naomi works as an interpreter in the newly opened Indigenous Peoples Experience at Fort Edmonton Park where she invites you to visit. Danse, Naomi McElraith, Mitzi Gasson. I've written a poem to honor the children uh, who didn't survive residential schools. It's called, Bring Them Home. What can a poem do but to speak the truth? Ka top weight to shout the truth. Ka tape weight. Step one of indigenous grief, my friend Shannon tells me. Pe ki weitahek. What can a poem do but whisp but whisper? Ekiti makitawa kick our deep unwhisperable sorrow for nine hundred and sixty-six children. Spell it out. 966 small bodies counted out 198,996 small bones and counting what can a poem do but utter a prayer 
Ayame Histamawake, for 966 children, for thousands of other children who never saw their families again, ever. What can a poem do when it can't reach stage four of grief, laughter? Not yet, perhaps not ever, not until the children come home, not until the Pope says sorry for the crimes of the church, not until governments stop apologizing while doing so little. Not until we all walk with our indigenous sisters and brothers on the mean streets of Canada. Not until the children come in from the dark. Thank you, dear friend. The song that you're going to hear next is called The Prayer for the Children. It was written for the children in Yugoslavia after the problems there and uh, I'm putting the words up rather than showing the choir so the power of the words come into your hearts especially after listening to Naomi's poem
hear the voice of the children crying out from those graves and ask ourselves, how could we possibly make a difference? When I hear that hymn, that song, Prayer for the Children, it just rips something right out of my heart. I'd like to invite Unitarian Universalist, Reverend Fulgence Nagidjumana, who's originally from Burundi, where his church was forced to leave and he was imprisoned himself because of his Unitarian faith. He ministers now to the French-speaking Unitarian Universalists and refugees and other vulnerable people from East Africa and lives with his family in Ottawa. Welcome, Reverend Fulgence. I am honored to be part of this annual genocide memorial service. An event like this is important as an opportunity for us all to think of ways we can make a difference in our lives, the lives of others, our communities, and the world as a whole. It is particularly important to remember people who, as we speak, are being persecuted. People who, because of past persecution, are still facing trauma. Current times point to threats of genocide, negationism, and all kinds of efforts for cover-up and canceling the reality of genocide. To be fair, for people fighting for justice for all, who, try, who strive to uncover the truth, we are always up against forces that threaten groups of people, refuse to acknowledge harm done and try to conceal and rewrite history. And I think this is where we find ourselves today. A ministerial colleague, Reverend Jack Mendelssohn, said that for a person fighting for freedom, equality and justice, a religious liberal for short, every age is illiberal. Every age resists the truth. And we need to stay vigilant all the time because in reality, the threats never go away. How can we in our lives make a difference? I think we need to make a firm commitment on key issues that are foundational for the rest of our actions. First, we need to take an unwavering stand for the humanity of all. Genocides dehumanize. There should never be a debate about the humanity of a person or a group of people. And when we see that kind of debate, it's a red flag. We know that groups of people are treated as less than human, as savages not intelligent enough, not conforming enough, not intelligent enough to reach certain decisions, and generally speaking, not qualifying to be humans according to certain rules. People get called names so that when they are being beaten up and killed, 
it looks like acceptable. We are all part of one human family. And this commitment is not just towards people who live nearby, but people who live in faraway lands too. We are indeed one human family. And what degrades one degrades us all. We also need to make a commitment to telling the truth. We cannot make a difference if we do not face the truth. The truth of what has been. Countries and societies have histories. And those histories inform the conditions of people living today. It is hard to separate the past from the present because one informs the other. And out of fear, shame, and a normal refusal to be villains of our own stories, we shy away from facing the truth of what has been. And that state of affairs becomes a barrier for making a difference. But the truth of what has been opens door to a present lived with integrity and honesty and the realization of the enormity of the task ahead. Facing reality as it is, is a choice to not live in a fantasy world, because denial brings frustrations and even conflicts. If adults do not want to know or do not want to know about the past, seeds of past harm are continuously being sown. We need to learn from the past, look to the present with honesty and integrity, and build what could be. We all have an opportunity to shape a future that's fit for everyone. I long for the day when the humanity of certain groups of people is no, not for debate. I long for the day when or speak up on behalf of the persecuted. I long for an environment in which people can lower their guards and learn to be humble as they build the world informed by the present and shaped by a past that we are willing to stare in the face. This genocide memorial service today gets us closer to that day. Thank you all for being on this important journey. Thank you for your words, Wolfgang, and thank you for being with us. Our next speaker is Reverend Ann Barker, who is the minister of the Unitarian Congregation at Westwood. This congregation has a strong commitment to social justice, speaking and working for equality and dignity for all people, working hard at making a difference, and a special, special speaker who will talk to us about how to make a difference is not always easy. Welcome, dear Anne. We gather together today because we are people who care about one another, who care about justice, and who care about healing and transformation. 
We know that injustice plagues our world and that it does not simply stop because we wish it to. And we're continually learning about the harm and the residual layers of suffering that follow any trauma. As a third generation white settler who has lived with privilege and comfort for most of my life, I haven't always understood my place within the systems of power and oppression. I am a learner at the beginning of this journey. I was raised and educated in a culture of people who expected comfort, who believe it is their birthright, and who benefit, often without even knowing, from the white supremacy culture that defines power, authority, and what matters most throughout so much of the world. We know that comfort can be a blessing and that it can sometimes bring healing. And of course, we want all people to have freedom from hunger and poverty, from pain and suffering, from intimidation and fear. But the idea that we should never experience upset or uncertainty, especially when we are people of privilege, is counterproductive. Being willing to be interrupted, to re-examine our beliefs and our priorities can bring growth, learning, and positive change, sometimes even healing and transformation. Unitarian Universalists speak proudly of the ways our religious ancestors challenged the dominant cultural beliefs and practices of their times, refusing to be constrained by external or indefensible authorities. We are committed to being a living tradition, continuously changing and growing. But through past challenges, we've also learned that change isn't always gentle. While we found our way to greater openness and have welcomed new perspectives, we'd be kidding ourselves to say that it was simple or easy. And it's important to note that growth is continuous. As we learn, we must change. Good intentions are not enough. Affirming the inherent worth and dignity of all people is not enough. We are being called to action, called to accountability, called into wider relationship as the respectful, responsible way to move forward. The deeper truth around caring and justice for people of privilege is that it's not our place to define the lives of others, but rather it is time to ease our grip on leadership and authority and to share in the collective liberation of all people by interrupting the exclusive structures of power that our ancestors built and that we intentionally or not sustain. As we peel apart the layers of systemic oppression, we are needing to discomfort ourselves, learning new skills in the pursuit of collective healing. Now, those are a lot of aspirational words. Let me close with some simple calls to action. And I'm especially speaking to the people of privilege among us. Choose as a first step or as a next step to release your attachment to comfort. Change and transformation can be hard and the truth can hurt. Being corrected or challenged, especially when we're learning and we make mistakes, is no fun. Choose to keep learning anyway. Commit yourself to forward motion. We won't always agree on root causes or about structures and systems, and we may have different ideas about best actions and solutions. Our tendency can sometimes be to wordsmith or to debate a plan, delaying the needed action. The person best suited to choose the path or to break a new trail 
is the person at the center of the journey. Self-determination is essential. Committing ourselves to forward motion requires a willingness to step aside, to get our bodies and our structural obstacles out of the way. If you are looking to begin or to deepen your learning, here are some things. Read the 94 Calls to Action by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. There are some that each one of us can do. Read or listen online to the summary report of the TRC. It's difficult, so pace yourself. But we can't understand the harms Indigenous people experience until we understand both the history and the present. Learn about white supremacy culture, whatever your background, because we are all impacted by institutional structures of power and oppression. And then explore them with your friends, your families, your coworkers, or congregation. Look at how this culture has shaped your own life as well as the lives of others. And imagine ways you can interrupt your conscious or your unconscious participation and then try them out. And finally, look for invitations from organizations or events to meet people whose life experiences are different from yours. Don't show up with a plan or an agenda. Listen, build relationships and learn. And then when relationships are solidly in place, choose a next step together in the service of love and justice. Thank you and blessed be. Thank you too, Anne. And we're going to have the song Lean On Me, which shows that one of these things that we're talking about making a difference involves depending on each other and, and holding each other up and taking one step at a time, asking for help when we need it, need it and sharing our uh, help with other people. Lean on me is the song.
Our next speaker is a very dear friend, Yasmina Kolek of the uh, Bosnian uh, Muslim uh, group. She's been coming to the genocide memorial since 2014. She's a mother who witnessed the murder of her husband and son during the Srebrenica massacre of Muslims in Bosnia. And this is what unending grief looks like when a child is lost. She also knows something of unmarked graves and sympathizes with the indigenous people because of the people who were murdered in Srebrenica and who are buried in unmarked graves. Dear, dear sister Yasmina, please join us. Hello, everyone. I just wish to correct correct a little bit, Adri. I don't, I'm not coming from uh, Bosnian Muslims only. I'm coming in behalf of Bosnian Herzegovina society, which is very multicultural. We have Croatians, we have Serbian people as well in our community. I'm presenting them all. Thank you. Yes, I am Yasmina Kolikan coming from the little town named Kozarac, where all those ugly concentration camps happen and where the lots of people got killed just in a few days. And my town was literally flattened. You can see on the back from 1963, that was little, little town. But in 1992, was very modernized with 28,000 people. Today, it has only 5,000. And from 4,000 uh, elementary school kids, today is only 370. So now you have clear picture what happened in Northwest part of Bosnia where I'm coming from. My poem is related to the children in Bosnia that are still in a massive grace and we don't know where they are. And this poem is related to the children here in Canada as well, because I couldn't sleep when I heard the news. Agony of Srebrenica mother. It's hot, scrouching, sultry. The air is burning. We are waiting thousands of Bosnian souls. Mothers cries, children screams, sharp words from the mouths of foes, turning agony of waiting into hell. Mother, they just took father and my brothers and uncles and even grandpa mother. Ah, villains, I cried, wringing hands in despair, looking towards the sky, not breathing. They will take me too, 
I hear the voice of my youngest son. Don't let them take me, mother. Don't give me to them. Put a kerchief of my head so they will believe I'm a girl. Hide me, please. Don't fear, my dear. I will never give you up. They won't take you. You are just a little child. Don't fear. Don't fear. Stick with me. Closer. Your mother will never give you up. Apple of my eye. You leave that child. A sharp voice stopped me in the heart. Don't take him. He's still a child. Don't take him. He's not 14 yet. Don't leave me, mother. My dear mom. Tell them. Tell them again, please. I don't want to go there, to the other side, with father, my brothers, uncles, grandpa. No. No. I cry too. No, I beg you. They snatched him from my arms. They took my youngest one, my Abid. I stood there petrified watching him leave, cursing him one more time with my eyes. He was not 14 yet. It's hot, scrunching, sultry. The air is burning. And they, fans, chetniks, monsters, serfs, are giving chocolates to the little ones to stop them from crying. Oh God, what kind of souls do they have? Then, on that July 11th of 1995, and also yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and until the moment when that comes to take me, the hands of my youngest son, Abid, will tremble in my stomach and in my chest. Don't forgive them, mother. I hear the message of my sons. Don't forgive them unless they confess in a loud voice. Don't forgive them until they admit that we exist no longer. That there is nobody to bury you one day when you die. That is always somewhere around me. It knows my name. I hear its voice. Safia, you have to leave. 
You have to talk louder and louder and even louder. They must hear you now since they didn't hear you then in July 1995. It's your debt, Sophia. It's your debt to your children, to all of them who are not with you anymore. It's your debt to your Srebrenica, to your Bosnia Srebrna. I will come one day, said that. You will be happy to see me. You will greet me with a smile, like your dearest friend. And it left again. I know that I have a debt. Because of that, I'm still alive. I walk, I talk. For the genocide in Srebrenica and in our homeland never to be forgotten. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And just a second. In my first speech in Mennonite Church, my first story, how I ran out of the house without shoes. When I hear about the genocide of indigenous people, I spontaneously said, I'm sorry if you are gonna be hurt here with my statement, but if I wouldn't know that like, genocide happened here, I would not come to Canada. But now I am with you, and we are gonna st stand up for those things all over the world. Thank you. Thank you very much, Yasmina. Lots of love to you. Our next speaker is Rabbi Gila Kane from Bethora Synagogue, who shares a mother's prayer for peace in Hebrew with Arabic, English, and German translations. Rabbi Gila Kane. Hello, I'm Rabbi Gila Kane. I'm the rabbi of Temple Bethora here in the city, in Edmonton, and I'm going to read for us a prayer of mothers for life and peace by Sheikha Ibtisam Ahmed and Rabbi Tamar Elad Applebaum. I'll read it in Hebrew, but I'll scroll down here, and you can see it in English and German and Arabic, so you can either read in a language that's comfortable for you, or just listen to the Hebrew. מלך חפץ בחיים, הרופא לשפורי לב ומחבש לעצבותם, שמה נא תפילת אמהות, שאתה לא בראתנו על מנת שנהרוג זה בזה, ולא על מנת שנחיה בפחד, כעס ושנאה בעולמך, אלא על מנת שנדע לתת רשות זה לזה לקיים את שמך, שם חיים, שם שלום בעולם. על אלה אני בוכיה, איני, איני יורדם מים, על ילדים בוכים מפחד בלילות. על הורים אוחזים עולליהם וייאוש ואפלה בליבם, על שער אשר נסגר, ומי יקום ויפתחהו טרם פנה היום. ובדמעות ובתפילות שאני מתפללת כל הזמן, 
ודמעות כל הנשים שכואבות את הכאב החזק בזמן הקשה הזה. הרני מרימה את ידיי למעלה, אנא ממך אדוני, רחם עלינו. שמע קולנו, אדוני אלוהינו, בימי הרעה האלה שלא נתייאש, ונראה חיים זה בזה, ונרחם זה על זה, ונצטער זה על זה, ונקווה זה לזה. ונכתוב את חיינו בספר החיים למענך, אלוהים חיים. תן שנבחר בחיים, כי אתה שלום, וביתך שלום, וכל אשר לך שלום, וכן יהי רצון, ונאמר אמן. We were not created to kill each other. A woman's prayer to God for peace. Thank you very much, Gila. And this stone is the one that is in the Genocide Memorial Garden, which says humanity stands in a river of its own blood. This garden honors the memory of victims who died violent deaths because of wars, racism, religious persecution, sexual orientation, greed, slavery, ethnic cleansing, and appropriation of Aboriginal lands. This was first dedicated on June the 21st, 2009. But some things never change. Some things never change. What is happening today in the Ethiopian Tigray province is a continuation of ethnic cleansing and, and all kinds of a, abuses to the people of this tribal region. Dr. Tedros, reporting on the CBC program, The Current, defined this catastrophe as the genocide of the people of the Tigray province. Now, Prime Minister of Ethiopia, Abi Abu, received the Nobel Peace Prize in 2020 for brokering peace in Eritrea. Yet he incited hate against the Tigray people, denied elections, massacred civilians through mass shootings, and sanctioned army rape of women from the ages of 7 to 65. Some things never change. Five million people are facing starvation. Thousands of refugees are fleeing the area. Now the prime minister says it's an internal matter and nobody else's business. The Tigrayan people are paying the price for political violence they may not even understand. A memorial stone will be placed in the genocide memorial garden as witness to the genocide in Tigray. It says 2021 Tigray region is Ethiopian genocide of ethnic peoples, war crimes and gender-based violence. And you're invited to come and visit this garden anytime you like to see that and the other 40 stones that are there that uh, categorize and recognize and witness to genocide. One of the ways aggressors used to destroy a nation is to rape women so they will give birth to foreign children and their own children are killed in order to completely wipe out a nation. This is called ethnic cleansing. Africa with the, the People's Gospel Choir of Montreal.
kusisigelela i Africa. Lord bless Africa. Is a song composed out of a struggle for emancipation and for liberation in Africa. It was written in 1897 by a Kosa clergyman by the name of Enoch Sondonga at a Methodist school outside of Johannesburg, South Africa. It is a song that represents liberation in Africa and the Pan-African struggle from the 1960s to the 1990s. It is adopted by five different countries in Africa and has become a symbol of black history in Africa as lift every voice and sing has been a symbol of black history in the Americas. Gosisigeleli Africa, Lord bless Africa. representations of making a difference and about our our intense passion about anti-bias work and indigenous rights we begin to ask how to make a difference and we could include in our making a difference plan 
to take a look at what in Amnesty International Edmonton is doing there in their work to support Indigenous people to advocate for equality and justice for their communities. I invite Kim Doyle Thorson to make a presentation on behalf of Amnesty International Edmonton. Welcome, Kim. Thank you, Audrey. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Great. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, my name is Kim and I'm the chair of Amnesty International Edmonton. I'm also an Amnesty Canada field worker. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with Amnesty International, we're a member-driven international organization devoted to defending and advocating for human rights everywhere. Our main course of action that we've always done is letter writing, whether that's on paper or whether that's electronically. Um, when we're writing letters, of course, we put our hearts into our appeals, but we also include facts about the case and quote domestic and international law, wherever it's possible. But our real power is in our numbers. We have a current case where you can make a difference by writing to the Canadian government for justice and accountability for Indigenous peoples. Canada must commit to justice for victims of the institution of residential schools. So we ask that you write a letter. We ask that you write and point out these children should never have been taken from these, their families. We ask that you write and point out residential schools were part of a colonial policy enshrined in Canadian law designed to eradicate Indigenous cultures, languages, and communities. And its legacy continues today. As it's been already mentioned, because of discriminatory colonial policies, First Nations, Métis, and Inuit children continue to be disproportionately represented in the child welfare system. When you write your letter, quote the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples from 1996. You could quote the Truth and Reconciliation Commission from 2015, the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls from 2019, plus numerous reviews by the United Nations and other international human rights bodies. Despite the harms being well known, Canada continues to resist real justice and accountability. It has failed to implement the six recommendations made by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission regarding missing children and unmarked burials. And Canada is still fighting residential and day school survivors in court. It would make us so happy if you would add to our numbers. So far, almost 17,000 have signed an online petition regarding this case about the residential schools. So we ask you to send an email to the Prime Minister. Or if you don't want to send an email, we'd even more appreciate if you'd write a personal letter. A handwritten letter is even, uh, even better. Those envelopes stack up and the numbers mean everything. I'm going to paste a link into the chat for you if you'd rather just click on a petition that's online. You can do that. Almost 17,000 people have signed this petition already, and we could take it over to uh, turn that dial over to 17,000 if everybody here signs this petition today. Thank you very much for coming, Kim. I appreciate your input. 
particularly giving us ways to make a difference in this uh, terrible situation with the indigenous children who are lost to their families and who are residing in graves that are unmarked. Thank you. By not being bystanders and by having a plan, each of us can and will make a difference. Our youth are setting an example for us, for they're smarter and more educated about world affairs than many of us knew. Like Georgia Phillips, the 17-year-old who makes a difference in writing her own settler's land acknowledgement as a young and thoughtful woman. Or Greta Thunberg, who at the age of 17 spoke about climate change before the United Nations. Our youth show up at pride parades for Black Lives Matter, for missing and murdered Indigenous women marches, and at gatherings for children who died in residential schools. That's to name a few. Our young people are becoming our leaders. They learn a lot online and in school. They're becoming teachers as well as tomorrow's leaders. And they are and will continue to make a difference. We can make a difference by supporting their work. I'll repeat that. We can make a difference by supporting their work. Now, before we conclude, in memoriam, let us have a time of reflection and remembrance for the lives of the Pakistani family in London, Ontario, who were hit by a vehicle driven by an anti-Muslim terrorist. Mr. Salman Afsal was his 74-year-old mother, his wife Mahida, and 15-year-old daughter Yuma were killed, and his young son was seriously injured. We share their grief and sorrow, and with the Afsal family, their concern for their surviving son. May Allah bless be he, keep them forever in place of comfort and healing. Let us also remember the two Muslim women who were attacked here in Edmonton because of their faith and the child who had a hate note put in her backpack that said, death to Muslims. A red memorial stone will be placed in the genocide memorial garden for people of faith who are persecuted for their beliefs. You'll see the stone there in the middle. Please join me in observing a minute of silence in memory of those who live in fear because their faith is under attack by far right aggressors. Thank you and bless you all for being with us today. When you go back to your own community, I would like you to consider having an annual genocide memorial service. We must join together. We must witness against genocide for the safety of all of us in all of the lands. We must not stop. 
We must not be discouraged because, beloved people, billions, billions of lives matter. Amen and amen. And blessed be to all who start to make a difference. Postlude is Wintry Lullaby by Gordon Ritchie, who is a composer, and the beloved Aaron Vandermolen, whose voice of an angel will take us home. This is a song for the children. to say thank you to those people who helped make this uh, genocide memorial service happen to Alara and Bill and Maria and 
all of the participants who took up their time to be with us today and to share the powerful stories that made this program what it is today. This is the, the Memorial Garden. You're invited to come and visit anytime you like. This is a new sign that my son just dedicated last week. <laughs> 